It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. As we're just a mere couple of days away as we record this from the AFC Championship game in Kansas City. we got a lot of college basketball to talk about. And, of course, my favorite part of the show, where you can ask me a question on any topic, go to Twitter, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick compiles them, you ask them, and I answer them. It does not have to be on sports. It can be on any topic that you so desire and need an answer for. Rick, uh, obviously, this is going to be a lot of a lot of Bengals, but we do get some college basketball to discuss as well. And uh, looking forward to, to the podcast today because we got a lot of stuff on the plate. I love this time of year, Skinny. It's a busy time of year for both of us, but I love it. Yes. Yes, I'm I'm still on fumes from Kansas City or on fumes from Buffalo and silly me. Um, I did find a nonstop to and from Kansas City for a cheap price, uh, believe it or not. But the problem is my flight back from Kansas City leaves at 730 when I'll probably be done working at three or four in the morning. The choice is what go back to a hotel for an hour or nope. go straight to the airport. And it's going to be go straight to the airport. So it is what it is. Straight to the airport. Hope somebody's already open. Yeah, food, exactly. Food option wise. Exactly. Or, or alcohol. One or of the alcohol. Two. Yeah, or yeah. alcohol. All right, Skinny. Well, the Bengals blew out the Bills 27 to 10 in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs on Sunday. We reacted to that game on our Bengals recap podcast that night. And you can check it out on the same podcast feed you found this one. Next up is a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game. The Bengals will travel to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs at 6.30 p.m. on Sunday. We'll start with just wrapping up the Bills win. There are a few things I wanted to ask you about. And the first was uh, something that they've been doing dating back to last year when they first beat the Raiders in that wild card round. Zach Taylor at that time started this tradition of taking the game balls out to local bars and celebrating with the fans back here in Cincinnati. And they've continued that tradition. It's become a big thing. There's camera crews at half of these bars as they're doing it. Um, and it's going viral. There's stories done all across the country about these actions. What were your thoughts on that tradition, Skinny? Do you like it? I do. Um, I, 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 in some ways, it, it feels like it's getting a little overdone at this point, but I do like it. I, I, I think that's what makes this community kind of unique with the connection to the football team is we are, we're, we're, a, we're a fairly big city, but we're also a fairly small city and community made up of great neighborhoods and communities that each kind of have their own individual characteristics. And and I do think that, that the Bengals um, have really tried over the last couple of years to connect the fan base to the team and vice versa. And I think this is one nice way to do it. They do it in town. They, they sent three, I think they did six game balls from, from this past game, three in town and they sent three out of town. I know one went to Nashville. I'm not sure where the other two went. They all might've gone to Nashville for all I know. Uh, one went to a, to a, a pizza parlor in, in, in Athens, Ohio last week. Um, but it, I think it is cool. And I don't think, I don't think it's hokey. I, I don't, I mean, like I think Ted Karras really enjoyed going into that bar with that game ball. I think Jack Taylor genuinely enjoys going into those bars. And he even says, I don't stay very long. I stay for about five minutes, you know, say a little spiel, give them the game ball and leave. But I do, I think it, I think it's what makes this community at times really cool. It's it's we, we got professional sports teams, but we're small enough where you can do stuff like that. Yeah, that's it, right? It's a unique situation here in Cincinnati where that kind of thing works and it doesn't seem that crazy to do. And I mean, you know, what would you do that in Philadelphia? You might get mobbed. You know, I mean, they might kill you. Who knows? Like, it's just this weird situation where it's so appreciated by the fans here that they are recognized by someone in that position. And maybe it's overblown. Maybe maybe that would be that way in a lot of places. But I do think it's kind of unique here. And um, I've also been pretty impressed with the way Bengals fans have traveled to these games, especially that Buffalo game. It seemed like there were a ton of Bengals fans or, there, yeah. especially on the broadcast. You could hear them chanting. Yeah, the very first, uh, I think, completion to T. Higgins, you could hear even in the press box. I'll be honest with you, Rick, you, the, the crowd noise wasn't you know, deafening. You're, you're kind of drowned out a little bit uh, from it. it. It really was kind of literally, I, I think I said it on Sunday, it felt like I was literally broadcasting or rather uh, covering a game in a snow globe. But you, you could hear when it got loud enough, and you could certainly hear on the first catch to T. Higgins, uh, uh, the, the cry of T and I thought, wow, there are a lot here. And it's always hard to tell. Everybody's always bundled up and you can see a little smattering of orange and black here and there, but there was a really good turnout from Bengals fans in Buffalo. It's hard to take over the sound of a broadcast multiple times like that, 
unless you have a lot of fans there. Right. right. You can't usually make out exactly what fans are chanting and like the who day chants and the T chant, like you're talking about, were crystal clear coming through the TV broadcast. Well, we, we, you know, we always do the hard hitting topics on, on this show. So from <laughs> from the fluff to uh, the just stupid here, Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, at his end of season news conference Tuesday, when asked if Buffalo should adapt to Cincinnati's roster construction plan that allowed the Bengals to build a strong receiving core, like drafting Jamar Chase, he replied, quote, I don't want to suck bad enough to have to get Jamar Chase. He's a heck of a talent. I would love to have him. But you got to go through some lean years to do that. Skinny, obviously, Cincinnati fans didn't seem to like that too much. What was your take on Brandon Bean's comments? Yeah, look, Brandon Bean's done a, done a great job, number one. He's been there six years. They've been to the playoffs five times. He's constructed really good rosters. But that was one of the most asinine things I've ever heard because I'm not sure where he was going with that. I, 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 get, I think the point was, you know, they're fortunate to have Joe Burrow on a rookie contract and to have Jamar Chase on a rookie contract. Yeah, you know, you had Josh Allen on a rookie contract and that window has come and gone. And while you made the playoffs, you didn't get over the hump. And maybe there's something, maybe there's something to be said for another bean, you know, Billy bean of the Oakland athletics has always said, um, I either want to be in, in last place and suck and be able to, to get parts back for a rebuild or be the top dog. I mean, there's no middle. He doesn't like a middle ground. And while Buffalo's not stuck in the middle ground, they're stuck in the upper middle class and unable to get to the elite level. And um, sorry for that guy. The Bengals did a really good job to construct their roster when they knew the window was open. They knew they had their guy in Joe Burrow. They got lucky to, again, suck enough to get Jamar Chase. You're right. But they built around that very quickly by spending in the right places, spending on defense. I'm sorry you overspent for Von Miller and he got hurt, guy. I'm sorry that you've got a lot of guys you're going to lose in free agency. I mean, honestly, Buffalo is going to go through some, some growing pains over the next couple of years. They got a ton of free agents um, who are key players for them. So shame on you for not building a good enough roster around Josh Allen during his window. And the Bengals have done that around Joe Burrow. It was just an asinine thing to say. Did I miss the period over the last decade when the Bills were dominating the NFL? No, no, but I mean, again, five playoffs and six appearances is pretty good. I'm going to give him that. And that's all, all the time that he has been there. Um, and I, I just, I don't know what he, what purpose it served for him. I don't think he was trying to purposely take a shot at the Bengals. At the same time, it was just an asinine comment to make. It made no sense. Skinny, they've been to the playoffs that many times and still haven't accomplished as much as Joe no, Burrow what, did last right. year. That's I mean, that's the whole, he, he made he himself a look dumb with all of right. this. Right. He had a chance to do the same thing with Josh Allen on a rookie contract, and they didn't do it. Well, that's that's your fault. That's your problem. Yeah, that, it would be different if the Bills, this comment would be different if the Bills had been controlling the AFC over the last decade. And it's like, oh, we don't we don't want to stoop to the Bengals level to get where we were. You were basically in the same position just a, a few years earlier and you never capitalized on it. I, uh, one, that made him look bad. And two, it's re just really ridiculous because all it is is he's salty that they just got blown out. Yeah, well, I, yeah, there's no question about that part of it. That's why, uh, I, again, I, I know you have some problems of your own, but I, I just don't understand what was accomplished by that. And maybe... It just came out just so wrong. And after he said, it, he's like, why did I even say it? I, I just don't understand why he said it. I just don't. Yeah, it's more of a thing where I wouldn't be bothered by this or offended by it. If I'm a Cincinnati fan, I would be laughing at him like you just made yourself look really dumb. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the Chiefs matchup this week. And there's only one place you can start that conversation. That's with the injury to Patrick Mahomes ankle. He was a full participant in the Chiefs Wednesday practice. There was video of him walking down a, a step or two after leaving the podium for his press conference, and he looked totally normal and fine walking from there, and obviously everyone's overanalyzed that. Skinny, how much do you think this high ankle sprain is going to impact this game? I think you're going to find out on the very first series of the game, if you're if I'm Luana Romo, you blitz the daylights out of him to see how he moves and see how it affects him, and at that point, you adjust from there. You either, either becomes a sitting duck, or at that point, you know that Hey, he's good to go, and now I'll play him the way I, I probably will scheme. I, I just I, I think you won't know until you see it. I will say, you know, all the video of him from yesterday, no walking boot, walking without a limp. It feels like it's a minor miracle if it's if it's a true high ankle sprain or he's really good at masking it right now. One thing that, about the injury that is kind of interesting is that it's I guess it's different from most sprains and like you can run on it pretty well. But then when you try to stop on it. 
it hurts really bad. Or when you try to cut and change direction, it hurts really bad. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's something where he's just able to mask it while he's walking around, but it's a little bit different when he's going to be trying to change directions and and get out of pocket. The other thing that if you watched the rest of the game against the Jaguars after the injury occurred, there were a few instances, including on, on one of the touchdown passes over the middle, where he was completely leaning forward and throwing off his front foot because the plant foot is the ankle that's injured right now. And it doesn't seem like he's too comfortable doing that. So you have to wonder how much arm strength, how much power does he have to really let the ball rip downfield? Can you stack the box and and really be aggressive as a defense against him potentially if he can't throw that deep ball? Yeah, no, I, 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 I think it, it can compromise him for sure. And I think if that's the case, you're going to find that out very early in the ball game. Um, again, maybe he is superhuman. Maybe he's able to, 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 to grit his teeth, get whatever pain medication he needs in that thing and, and fight through it and push off and throw all those passes. But I, I, I got to see it to believe it. I mean, he, he did look good walking off the podium. You have to give him that. <laughs> he was he looked very clean walking away from his press conference in the four or five steps that we got to see yesterday so uh, i'll give him that and i i hear medical grade fentanyl is is a very nice thing so hopefully that'll make him feel well hopefully it is medical grade right yeah well i, I don't think you want to just try it off the street that no, seems pretty no. dangerous for someone yeah. who has the lifestyle he has i, yeah, I don't think sure i'd want to risk that it it, it, it does feel what, what can I use the word? Very scripted the way that they kind of let a lot of the video out from yet, right? That it was, I mean, when he turned the corner. I was almost full conspiracy mode at one point I was yesterday too. on this. I mean, that, when, he, when he turned the corner, you know, from leaving the podium, um, who knows if he didn't collapse three steps after taking, you know, getting out of out of view of camera angles. I, I don't know. I mean. Yeah, he went right through a doorway. Was, we never saw him again. Right. Correct. I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, high ankle sprains are are, are a can be a real big deal, right? I mean, we we know that. And three days later, four days later, he's fine. It is interesting that he was listed as a full participant in practice. Yeah, no, no question. I'm a little surprised by that because there was a a point yesterday where you you see that video, like you said, it feels scripted. And you're listening to the comments from both him and the coaching staff. And they're talking about, oh, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as the last time he dealt with this when in 2018 or 2019, whenever that was. It's like, are we sure they're just like not completely blowing smoke and he's not going to play at all? Right. And then he was listed as a full participant in practice. So it's like, well, that seems to go out the window. Yeah. No, I, I, and the Vegas line is, I think, been affected by it. It went from initially. Big time. We're going to get yeah. to that in a second. Yeah. It, it got to the, okay, well, I'll wait for that. But it did. I was doing a, a show in Vegas this, this morning, actually a show, uh, a radio show uh, interview. And um, they actually informed me of that. I did not, I did not know the line had changed. It's now KC a one and a half point favorite. So, um, you know, Vegas certainly, it seems like feels like, and those that are betting, it feel like, you know, Kansas city is going to have a hundred percent quarterback. Yeah. Well, that is not the line I'm, I'm seeing. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm still seeing the, uh, the Bengals as a one point favorite right now. So well, they, they, they rattled off of like three or four books that have KC as the favorite and they're in Vegas. So I'm going to take their Vegas word for it. It's been, ba- it's been bouncing back and forth. So that, I mean, that's, it's possible that it, it changed at that time too. So, um, the final thing, I mean, the final thing about the injury is I just wonder in a game like this, where each of the last three times these teams have played, it's come down to a three point game. How much is this going to impact them in the red zone where he's so good and so dangerous right. when he gets out of pocket and makes you afraid that it's not that he always runs it, but he's so good at taking those first few steps out of pocket that make you freak out and, and worry about him. And then he finds someone running through the back of the end zone and makes the throw. If he's not able to get out of pocket and make those same types of sub plays, it definitely takes away a major weapon they have down when you get near the goal line. Yeah, I think unscripted plays in the red zone are really hard to defend for sure. And the Bengals, as we know, have and we have I've done stories on it, so have other people. I mean, their red zone defense has been a, a big part of why they've been so successful defensively, is turning potential seven point situations into three point situations. But Mahomes, with the way he can do things unscripted, kind of flips that on its head a little bit. But then if he can't do those things in the unscripted fashion, it flips it back in the Bengals' favor. I mean, there's so much that hinges on the health of that ankle. It really is. So that's the biggest storyline or the, the the one that everyone's talking about going into this game. Skinny, do you have 
an under the radar storyline for me or something that no one's really talked about that you think is going to be play a big role? No, because most of them I think are are above the the radar. I, I did four uh, matchups for our playoff special. One being Cordell Bolson versus Chris Jones. That matchup. Uh, one of them was Patrick Mahomes versus his ankle. Um, one of them was Lou Anarumo versus Andy Reid. I, I think that chess match is always fascinating. And then the the young rookie corners for for the Chiefs matching up yeah. with the Bengals wide receivers. I mean, they're and I I didn't even include the 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 Kelsey thing because the Bengals have done such a good job against Kelsey. I didn't use that as a as a storyline or a matchup for, for this particular game. So no, I think it's everything that, that, that's in front of you. Um, I mean, the story, I just did a Joe Burrow story and you know how his, that, that demeanor of his, I think is a big reason why they're three and O and in road playoff games with him. I'm doing another one on Friday on Luana Rumo and the art of the disguise and how good they are at that stuff. But yeah, just from this game itself, storyline wise, I think every everything that's major is, is ones you'd think about off the top of your head. Those rookie cornerbacks have received a lot of hype. The last few weeks. Yeah, and one's a seventh round draft pick. It was noted in a lot of the articles that were written about them that one of the, the worst games they had was against Jamar Chase. And and he did get a couple of the big plays, the, the few big plays that they've given up this year. But I am very curious about how that matchup goes, because when you hear that going into a matchup, you think, oh, rookie defensive backs going up against Jamar Chase and T Higgins. You feel pretty good about it. But these guys you look at the pro football focus numbers, you look at the things that have been said about them over the last few weeks. They've been pretty impressive. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, and I think the other one is, you know, the whole Jackson Carmen thing, was that just a one-off or did, did the Bengals really, I don't want to say luck into it because they picked him in the second round, but you know, tried to convert him to a guard. Now he's thrown out at left tackle and voila, they were great. And he was great. I mean, did they maybe really find something at that position? Well, I think the one thing there's no doubt about is he makes an impact in the running game. Yeah, he does. Because they've struggled with that all year, and and he wasn't much of a factor for most of the year. But all of a sudden, he gets in there, and and you look at the highlights of some of those run plays. I mean, he is just mauling guys 10, 15 yards down the field. He had one block on a linebacker where he just absolutely annihilated the guy, yeah. took him all the Edmonds. way to the sideline. Yeah. yeah, Edmonds. Yeah, so um, I do think he impacts it in, in that regard. Well, in, in three wins against the Chiefs over dating back to last season, obviously, Burrow was averaging 327 passing yards per game and has passed for eight touchdowns with one interception. Plus, he scored a rushing touchdown in the game earlier this year. He has brought the Bengals back from fourth quarter deficits in all of those games against the Chiefs. Skinny, is there any reason to believe the Chiefs can slow him down now? No, uh, no. I, I You know, the, the guy... The guy is the track record of him doing it in big situations is starting to pile up in a big time way. Right. I mean, Bengals had never won a road playoff game until Joe Burrow quarterbacked and they're three and oh in road playoff games. Um, that that's a lot. That's significant. Um, you know, and then in big games and clinching type games, he's come up big, uh, you know, the, down the stretch of this season, he's come up big. I, I just, you can't doubt the guy at all anymore. Nobody can. And I'll be honest. I said it on the, the interview I did in Las Vegas and I'll say it here. And I'm not the, probably the first one that's thought this and said this. If the Bengals win this game and Joe Burrow performs at the level you expect him to, which would help them to win the game. I mean, at what point do you start to say he is definitively the best quarterback in the NFL? Well, it's funny because this, you know, Who's the best quarterback or is Joe Burrow better than Josh Allen? And now is he better than Patrick Mahomes? It, it feels like such a hack conversation to it have, does. especially frequently. But I'll ha- I have to admit, I'm totally into the Joe Burrow comparisons right now. It, it's fascinating to hear right now. I mean, this, this is a guy who maybe before the season, people were willing to say he's a top five quarterback going into the year. But I don't think anyone had him in the conversation of best in the NFL. And now we're to the point where you at least have to be asking the question. I'm not saying he's better than Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes deserves to have that title right now. But I think there's definitely an argument for number two. Yeah, think about this. I mean, five years ago, I guess six technically, um, this guy was thinking of transferring from Ohio State to UC, right? Who in the hell was Joe Burrow, right? And then first year at LSU, you really didn't pay much attention. And then in the span of really four seasons – Look where he has gone with his career path. It's insane. And he did it without the eye-popping 
athleticism or insane arm talent. And he's good in all those areas. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the well, guy and he, is- and he said that he said, he said, I don't know if I have the best arm. I don't know if I have the, the best this or that, but he said, I, I think I'm in the top two or three of just about every category. I think that's right. And that composite makes him so unique and such a special talent. Yeah. The, the, the thing that really makes him unique though, is the brain. I mean, the way he processes things so quickly and the way he leads guys and his accuracy as a passer, those things combined really is is his secret sauce. I mean, to me, it's the you know, the the athleticism and the arm strength, it's there, but it's not going to wow you in terms of uh, uh, like an NFL draft combine. Right. No, I, and the, the, the thing. And in fact, I, I think a lot of that and, and Zach has hit on it and I know Joe's hit on it is. I think it's that the, the way he prepares and his preparedness um, has him so confident because of that, that he that's why he's so good in every situation is he knows he's prepared and he's prepared uh, for, for to the nth degree, probably. All right. Skinny, let's get let's talk about that betting line, because it opened with the Chiefs favored by three. And as of early Tuesday, Bengals were a two and a half point favorite and even briefly three at a few books that I saw. Now, as of this morning, the Bengals are favored by one is what I'm showing right now. You said it was Chiefs minus one at one point while you were doing a show earlier. Uh, I'm seeing Bengals minus one across the board currently as we record. A lot of handicappers are saying it's the biggest line movement they've ever seen in a championship game. What do you make of such significant line movements? Well, I think obviously the Mahomes injury is the is the reason for the line movement. Um, sure, but I mean that I, there's been injuries before for championship games. I'm sure this is just such a this is significant though. Yeah, the the fact that it's a quarterback and not just a quarterback, but for either team, if it was Mahomes or Burrow, this would be a massive deal, right? Yeah, I, I think so, and that's where. I'm going to guess there's going to be some squares that are going to follow, you know, the Mahomes injury situation. And, and there's going to be some sharps that are going to know the Mahomes injury situation. And I think you're going to continue to see that line fluctuate. It wouldn't, it would not surprise me to see this thing finally settle in a pick them. I could see the same thing. And that feels right going in. I mean, you know, that Mahomes is going to play. He may not be at a hundred. He's definitely not going to be at a hundred percent, but with a 80% or 75% Patrick Mahomes, it's still probably a, a game that you, you throw out there as a toss-up. I mean, each of these last three meetings in the past 13 months between these two teams have been three-point games. And as much as you know, we talk about can they actually slow Joe Burrow down, well, those other games could have gone either way, let's Correct. be honest. No I mean, question. the Bengals found a way to win them, but the Chiefs were right there in all of them, so... I mean, I feel like these teams are pretty evenly matched. Uh, I did see that um, a guy named Jay Cornegay, who's the uh, yep. executive vice president for Superbook Sports Operations, he said that if Patrick Mahomes was fully healthy, he'd put the line at Chiefs four to four and a half. Well, the guy, the guys I did the show with this morning when when I when they mentioned that the, the line had gone to KC one one and a half. He predicted he thought that the line would wind up KC three with if Mahomes you know gets through this week healthy. Yeah, and um, he also mentioned that if Mahomes were ruled out, he would have set the line at Bengals by five. Wow, that's a so huge, it's that's a amazing, huge, huge swing. Yeah. yeah, I mean you're talking nine nine and a half point swing right there, which is just crazy. But I mean I can't say I disagree with it either. No, but, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Well, with all that being said, you know, normally we do our betting picks at the end, but since we are only going to be talking about this game, let's go ahead and get into that right now. Last week, we both went one and one. We had the same side. Uh, we were on the over and it went under. We were also on the Bengals and, and that cashed. So we both went one and one. I'm 60, 54 and one. You are 53, 61 and one. This week, we're going to do both games on Sunday. We've got the, uh, Bengals at 6 p.m. They're a one-point favorite. The total is 47 and a half. What do you like in that one, Skinny? Well, um, until they prove me otherwise, I'm going to stick with the Bengals road playoff game. Joe Burrow's 3-0, and um, and and why not go with the same scores last year? Bengals 27, Chiefs 24. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that it feels pretty good. So 27-24 would put you at the over uh, 51 points, right? Yeah, 
and again, I, I know this is a lot of Mahomes base, but that even feels low when I say 27, 24, but that's kind of where these guys have always been. It's true. And I mean, really, if you look at these two teams, when you think about Bengals and Chiefs, wouldn't you think those are two high scoring teams that probably played the over a lot? Yeah, it's funny. Bur- Burrow mentioned, you know, because everybody always assumes these are going to be shootouts and high scoring things, but he's right. The teams are so good offensively, but the, you know, neither one gives up big plays. So you wind up having these long drives and very few possessions. I mean, the Bengals only had seven possessions in the Buffalo game. They scored on five of them, but they only had it seven times. The Bengals are seven, 10, and one to the under. Chiefs are eight and 10 to the under. So both of them have, have been under more often than not this season. Um, I'm going to play the under again here. I'm going to go in Bengals 24, Chiefs 21. Yeah, it just feels like a field goal game, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't. I'm going to stick with the Bengals. I do feel pretty good about them finding a way to, to win this one, especially with that Mahomes injury lingering. I think in some ways people are not putting enough emphasis on that injury. All right, Sunday at 3 p.m., we've got the 49ers at the Eagles. The Eagles are two and a half point favorite. The total is 46 and a half. I mean, just two really good defenses. I think it's just, and I, I, I probably shouldn't not believe in Brock Purdy, but I just think this is a big ask. Yeah, um, I do. And Philly played awful down the stretch, but that the, the, the win over the giants just felt like a complete get right game in so many ways. Uh, plus Hertz got through that game without, you know, banging that shoulder around and, gets another week of, of, you know, away from that injury. I, I just think, I think it's all Eagles in this one. I'm going to go Eagles 23, San Francisco 10. Oh, wow. So that will be Eagles and the under right there at 33 way under. Um, I like the Eagles as well, but not by that big of a margin. And I'm actually going to go over here. I'm going Eagles 27, 49ers 21. And I, I mean, I love Brock Purdy. I'd love to root for him in this game. But it just seems like the Eagles are too good of an opportunity right here to pass up. You only need them to win by a field goal, and their pass defense is so good. Uh, again, Brock Purdy's been great. It's just hard to imagine him continuing that this week against the Eagles' defense. Yeah, like I said, I mean they they just they slugged their way down the stretch, and some of that was the injury to Hurts, and some of it was probably boredom, and some of it was just they just didn't look right. But boy, they looked really right against the Giants, and maybe you can say shame on the Giants. But they they just looked, yeah. He looked dominant. I think that did have something to do with the Giants for certain. But yeah. you're right; they were so good in that game. All right, let's move on to some college basketball talk, and we'll start with Xavier. They had the biggest win of the week. First, they beat Georgetown, which is not the one I was talking about. They beat the Hoyas 95-82 over the weekend in a home game, and then on Wednesday night they went to UConn at Gamble Pavilion and pulled out an 82-79 to win. They were up by as many as 17 or 18 points in the first half. They gave it up, all all of it up, over the first eight minutes of the second half as UConn scored 30 points during that stretch. And then the two teams battled it out over the final minutes, and Xavier clawed their way to an 82-79 win. Skinny, what did you take away from Xavier's 2-0 week? Um, a impressive. I know they didn't play great against Georgetown, but they still, I mean, offensively, they just continue to churn out great performance after great performance for the most part. Uh, um, you know, that's kind of the calling card of this team, but Xavier, they, they sucked the mojo right out of UConn in that, in that win at home. I think they're, they're two and six since then UConn is, I don't want to poo poo this win because it is a really good win. Um, and offensively again, they were impressive and UConn made a bunch of shots in the second half to, to make the comeback and, and almost send the game into overtime. But I mean, I think you and I both agreed on this. There were stages this year where I put UConn in the national championship conversation and Xavier just sucked the mojo right out of them. Well, and what's crazy is UConn is still sitting at sixth overall in Ken Palm. I believe it. They're ranked 11th on offense and 14th on defense. And that's after this Xavier loss. And Skinny, I think one thing that you do have to take into account is if you look at their schedule the rest of the way, they're going to play at DePaul, at Georgetown. They have a tough home game against Marquette after that and a tough road game at Creighton. But then they finish the year with home against Seton Hall, home against Providence, at St. John's, home against DePaul, and at Villanova, a very down Villanova team. You could see them 
get in a situation where they maybe only lose one more game the rest of the year. And I'm not saying that's a a great run for them considering where they were at a month ago, but I think this team has a chance to still make a run and, and get into the tournament, but you're right. I mean, I think Xavier exposed a few things in in the matchups. And one is that Xavier's just didn't guard Andre Jackson. They're small forward that has put up decent numbers and shoots the ball. Okay. From three point range, but Xavier just decided we're going to let you beat us. We're going to stay in the paint. We're going to double team the ball when it goes into Sonogo in the post. And you guys don't have the dynamic point guard to beat us the way other teams in the Big East have. And I think they exposed them in a little bit in both matchups. They played them the same way. Some other teams have used some of that against the Huskies. And that's just a massive win. I mean, you'd like to see Xavier not give up that massive lead. But when you're on the road in the Big East, especially against a team like UConn, I think you just take the win any way you can get Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, uh, and it really put Xavier back on track after that road loss to DePaul the week before. Yeah. Um, yeah, you make the point about UConn, but I could also make the point they lose three or four more games too. I mean, they're going to the tournament, uh, but they've gone from being a team that I thought was a national championship contender to a, uh, they're a nice little six seed. Pat them on the head and have a good day. Yeah, I mean, they're still hanging in there at a four seed, but you're right. You could see this thing falling apart to where they could play themselves out of the tournament very easily. I mean, it's it's tough to make the tournament when you have a losing record in conference play. Yeah, there's a and fact that's true. They're very much in danger of that being the case. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think they do enough to get in and, and they'll be scary because they are talented. But yeah, I think Xavier's exposed them in some ways. Now, and Xavier, the, the big week for them is not over yet. They play at Creighton on Saturday, which is going to be another massive matchup. If they find a way to win that one, then you really start thinking about Xavier potentially winning the regular season in the Big East this year. They'll then follow that up with a home game against Providence next Wednesday, probably before we talk again. So, I mean, for me, Skinny, the question becomes with Xavier, you've got home games against Providence, St. John's, DePaul, Villanova, and Butler. And you should sweep those. The only game that really scares me out of that is is Providence. Right, right. But you find a way to win that one. You feel pretty good about winning out the rest of the way at home. And then I think the question for me becomes, can you split? You have two two two-game road stretches ahead, aside from this Creighton game that's that's coming up on Saturday. You have Butler-Marquette back-to-back on the road. And then a week later, you have Seton Hall-Providence back-to-back on the road. Can you split those two? road trips or road stretches? I think the answer is yes. Can you beat Butler on the road? Definitely. Can you beat one of Seton Hall or Providence on the road? I would think so, especially if you just won at UConn. You've won at Villanova already. And I do think, no, no offense, Xavier fans, I do think they lose this Saturday. I do too. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. And based on your your uh, scenario, that's four conference losses. That's got to win the that's got to win the conference, doesn't it? You're at 16 and 4. I think that's enough to win it this year. If not, I mean it it could be tied maybe, but I don't think the the winner gets out of there with fewer than four losses. Well, I'm I'm with you. By the way, cuz we all all talk about, you know, what the big guys have done and Sule Boom and Colby Jones all those things. I I, I mean, Jerome Hunter has given them some really good minutes off the bench of late. It's incredible. I mean, he was unplayable last year and he's become such a significant factor on this team. He played 25 minutes in that game. He guarded a point guard, a shooting guard, and a starting power forward during the time that he was on the floor. So he's versatile on the defensive end, and he's really making some nice plays on offense too. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the part. I mean, he made one last night where he he literally caught it, swung swung around the defender, and instead of giving it up, he took it all the way to the rim and laid it in. It was a great individual move. There are currently six teams that have six quad one wins in the country right now. Those teams, Bama, Texas, Iowa State, Kansas, Arizona, and the sixth, Xavier. Yeah, I I think a four loss in the league, which would be what, seven overall? Am I doing that right? They lose three more. They'd have six losses, right? No, four losses in the league. They'd have seven overall. I'm sorry. They lost three out 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 of conference. Duke, Duke, Gonzaga, and and uh, Indiana, um, which again, quality losses for the most part too. I mean, at that point, that's got to get you a three seed. You would think. I mean, they're sitting at a four seed right now on average, according to Bracket Matrix. I will also mention there is one team with seven quad one wins. That is Purdue. So, oh wow, um, yeah, yeah. 
But I mean, Xavier's right up there with the top teams in the country in terms of their resume. And you think back to the last few years, Xavier's resume in those years was no blemishes. We, we right. always talked about that. They right. didn't have the big wins. They didn't have the number of quad one wins that those other teams had when you got later into the year. But you were able to say, well, they haven't lost a really bad one yet. And then lo and behold, they would go and lose a couple of really bad ones over the next few weeks and, and play their way out of the tournament. This year, you're not saying that. This year, they've got the quality wins to and go along bad, with and, the record. Right, and one bad loss. Yep. All right, let's move on to Cincinnati. The Bearcats had one big game since we last talked, and that was a 75-68 home loss to Memphis. They have another big one coming up this Saturday when they travel to Houston, and they'll follow that up with a home game against Tulsa next Wednesday. Skinny, this UC team, they just can't keep spotting good teams, big leads in the first half of these games. Yeah, I mean, that that, that that's what seems to happen, right? I mean – it's just not a very good team. It's it's so middle of the packish in a but but they play. I mean, the second half of these games, you go back to the Xavier game, you, this Memphis game for certain. I mean, they can play with these teams. It seems like, but why do they start so slow and all? I I, I don't know the answer. I, I think he thought he found the answer by starting the two bigs and bringing Jeremiah off the bench, and then Jeremiah, lo and behold, doesn't shoot it very well in the in the Memphis game, and Skillings comes off the bench and doesn't shoot it very well. I mean, you're, you you got nine points off the bench in that game, and the two of them combined to go three for 12 and two for eight, but then your starting point guard goes one for 10 and 0 oh for five. It just feels like there's just there, there's a consistency to David DeJulius. There's occasionally eye-popping from Landers Nolly. You'll see Victor Lockin have his moments, but there's just there's not enough around it. Well, and the other thing was and we talked about this over the stretch that they were winning last week. And we were talking about, you know, are these things uh, reality or mirage? And it's like you need to see more from Cincinnati because right now against these bad teams in the AAC, they're shooting the ball really well and they're getting a lot out of Jeremiah Davenport. But my concern is, can they do that consistently, especially when they play the better teams in the conference? And you look at this game, they go six for 24 from three point range. And that was at home. Right. Uh, that just it seems to always happen that way when they play against the better teams. They can't rely on that shooting consistently. And uh, I'll be honest, if I'm a UC fan, I'm on the other side of more than worried about them going in the Big 12, especially with this roster. Right. I mean, I just it, it, you're you're really wondering how much are they going to have to do in the transfer portal? I mean, they have some talented recruits coming in, but you know how it goes with freshmen. They very rarely live up to what you expect them to be able to do that first year. And I mean, shy of really revamping the roster through the transfer portal, which can be done. We've seen it, but you also in a situation where how many times do you want to keep turning this roster over? You've right. done it three straight years now. I mean, right now they're combined. Oh, and six and quad one and quad two games. this wow. year. Wow. They just haven't beat any of the good teams and, and that's that they the played. So, so, I mean, after Houston, the schedule gets significantly easier and softer, and they're going to win a but They're going to still get the 20 wins, but what is that going to mean? Well, not much this year because, I mean, they really didn't take advantage of any of the, the big game opportunities that they had, and there weren't hardly any of them on their schedule aside from that tournament they played in Maui. Right. No, th- I mean, there weren't. And, uh, I and, mean, then they they, sli- and then they slip up in one of the games they should win, which is the NKU game. Right. Speaking of which, move on to the Norse. They had a 2-0 week last week. They won in exciting fashion, 57-56 over Cleveland State on Thursday by way of a buzzer beater from Marquez Work from about 27, 28 feet out. And then they played very well and whooped up on Purdue-Fort Wayne, 74-54 on Saturday. Purdue-Fort Wayne was... The other team picked to finish first in the conference along with NKU in the preseason polls. Their season hasn't gone according to plan to this point, but still an impressive win nevertheless. Uh, Skinny, your takeaways from NKU's 2-0 week? Well, they were lucky to win the one, right? I mean, uh, Very. Let's, let's, let's face it. But then you followed it up with a really impressive performance. And um, this team is sitting where we thought they'd be sitting in the league. Now you got a weekend where you've got a, a soft one tonight as we're doing the podcast on Thursday against Godforsaken Green Bay. They are horrifyingly bad. They just fired their coach. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. And then um, I, I, I don't want to say must win, but I think they have to beat Milwaukee if they want to still win this league because then after that comes the the stretch of every game but one on the road the rest of the way. 
Well, and Milwaukee currently at eight and two tied for first in the conference along with NKU. Those are the two teams at the top. And then there's three more at seven and three right behind them. So you're right. If NKU wants to keep pace at the top of the conference, not to say they can't win some road games, but playing seven of an seven of eight in a row to end your regular season on the road, that's not going to be easy to stack wins. You're probably going to have at least a slip up or two along the way. So yeah, you'd really like to take care of business at home, especially when you have an opportunity against Milwaukee head to head. They, they lost that first Milwaukee matchup in Milwaukee uh, a week ago. Yeah, no. And I, you know, I've talked off air about this, you know, the fact that Sam Vincent is playing significantly better and making shots. I think that gives you some hope that this team is going to, to have a a great run to the end of the regular season and put themselves back in position to, to get to the NCAA tournament by winning the conference tournament. Well, and it felt like I've been saying the same thing for most of the year, which is that this team is in a pretty good spot in terms of where they're at in the conference tied for first, but they've still yet to really play consistently to their potential. And, you know, a lot of people might look at that and say, well, this deep into the season, maybe that's just who they are. But the thing is, we're not talking about unproven guys here. We're right. talking about Sam Vincent, who showed he could do it last year. And we're t- and he's gotten better in a lot of ways this year, just not from a finishing standpoint until the last few games. And also Trayvon Faulkner, a guy who started for five years, played more games, started more games than any player in school history. And at times, he's been the team's leading scorer, averaging 15-plus points per game. So both of those guys have proven they can do it before. It was more just a matter of getting them going And all of a sudden, over the last few weeks, they've started to play better basketball. So if they can ramp it up more consistently and give the team a few more options on offense so they they don't get bogged down and find themselves in those 57, 56 games like they did the other night against Cleveland State, I think that would go a long way. Agreed. And then finally, Kentucky. Wildcats with another big week, two more wins. They win 76-67 over Texas A&M at home, and then they go to Vandy and win 69-53. to They've now won four in a row, Skinny. They've covered four games in a row, which maybe says even more, in, in my opinion. And they have a massive game coming up on Saturday that we've been talking about a lot. They will host Kansas at Rupp Arena, and then on Tuesday they will play at Ole Miss. Skinny, what do you make of Kentucky's? Two in a week. I mean, obviously, Cal's, Cal's done some things, you know, push the right buttons. I think he's got the lineup combination the way he wants it and the way that's been effective. Um, you know, Severe Wheeler came off the bench the last, last couple of games, and I thought, you know, against Vandy, he kind of pushed the pace a little bit and uh, helped in that regard. Antonio Reeves is starting to make shots. C.J. Frederick starting to make some shots. I mean, if you'd have told me they were going to win a game over a really good Texas A&M, which went and smacked Auburn uh, last night, that uh, they were going to win that game with Oscar Shibway going scoreless in the first half and finishing with seven points. I just said, there's no way in hell. Um, so I, the fact that the, the way the ball's moving, the fact that guys are making shots, the fact they don't need Herculean performances from Oscar Shibway, even though he's done it a couple of times this year, gives you hope. And, and so that would, the Kansas game to me would be one if, and I know it's at Rupp, but you win that one then you feel comfortable about about this team being an NCAA tournament team. And much like we talked when uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, North Carolina was sitting in a similar spot to where Kentucky was last year, got the ship righted, and voila, we see what they did. I think this team is talented enough to, to have a good run in, in March, um, and, and they're showing signs of being that team. But again, there's the tests along the way like this one, um, like Arkansas in a couple weeks at home, like another uh, game with Tennessee this time at home. Um, you know, they passed the first Tennessee test. That was a, I think that was a great way to jumpstart it. But you got a couple others. You got to continue to show me a little bit. You get a chance to do that this Saturday. Yeah, they held Vandy to fifty-three points. If they had just Vandy was Vandy was a little banged up. Yeah, but they had just scored eighty-five at Georgia too. You hold them to fifty-three. The defense is starting to play better. UK also had five players in double figures in this game, which speaks to the balance that you were talking about, where you don't always have to rely on Shibway getting you forty and thirty or whatever. (laughs) And uh, Frederick and Reeves playing a lot together at the same time is really spaced the floor out for them yep. a little bit. And I think it's made it easier to get the ball to Shibwe more often in decent spots uh, because teams can't really crowd him in the post as much. And then it's also opened up some driving lanes for some of the other wings that have a little bit more athleticism. So I think that has helped them. You know, this Kansas game, it's huge from a name brand standpoint. It'll make everyone feel like Kentucky's a contender again if they win it. But it's also big just from the standpoint of, 
Skinny, they only have one quad one win right now. Right, right. This is one of their six quad one opportunities that are left. So there's plenty of time to make up some ground in that regard, but it's got to start sooner than later. And this would be the one if, well, if you really want to make an impression. Plus it's at home. Yeah. I, I, I could argue it started with Tennessee, but it's got to continue. Cause right. that's the one quad one win. Right. Yeah. I mean, but that, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And, and Kansas look- has been struggling a little bit recently. So yes, they have, I mean, they got smacked by TCU on Saturday. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some ask skinny, anything to wrap this one up. We'll start with some sports-related questions. Skinny, if the Bengals win Sunday, regardless of what happens in the Super Bowl, where does that place Zach Taylor in the pantheon of Cincinnati coaches, considering all sports and levels? Um, I still got to put probably Ed Jucker at the top, and you're going to have to go way back in the archives. Of course, he led UC to back-to-back national championships in the 60s and then to a cha- uh, 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 the finals for a third straight year. Um, that's, that's up there for sure. Obviously Sparky Anderson, what he did with the big red machine. Um, but it's certainly in that conversation. I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. It's only been done twice in franchise history prior. And if he does that, that would be back to back years. Yeah. That, that, that's up there for sure. Any thoughts on Fred McGriff and former Reds third baseman, Scott Rowland getting into the major league baseball hall of fame. All right, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy. I, I'm I'm happy for both. Um, I think Fred McGriff was a really good player. I just, he just never, I'm just a big guy on, did he feel Hall of Fame worthy at the time? Did he, did I feel like I was watching a Hall of Famer and it didn't. It felt like I was watching a really good player. And honestly, the same for Scott Rowland. And somebody made this comparison on Twitter and it's a comparison I've made. I've, I've, I've done columns in the past. I didn't do it. Well, I've done columns in the past about the Hall of Fame. And, and, you know, some reds that maybe should be under consideration. And I think Scott was on the list, but he was down the list a little bit. I mean, go go crunch a bunch of Dave Parker numbers versus Scott Rowland. Tell me why Dave Parker's not in and why Scott Rowland is. I, Scott Rowland was a really good player. And again, I'm happy for anybody. I'm happy he got in, but I don't know. I am 100% with you. And look, the video of him and his mom and dad was nice. That was cool to see. I, I get it's a great moment. And no oh, one yeah, wants I'm to. Happy, I'm happy for anybody that's. But it, sure, but, it's, it's great for him and his family. But I, I mean, at what point did you ever think Scott Rowland never was the best third baseman in baseball or top two or three in, in his time? And defense goes along with this. And he was a really good defensive player. I mean, a couple gold gloves of him. Actually, you know what? I don't. I got to go look at this. Too. I've still got it. I mean, again, the side-by-side comparison of Dave Parker and him, it's not even funny. I'm with you. I mean, I, j- I just don't really quite see it. I thought Fred McGriff was a little bit more of a name and, and more of a a big-time player during this time. But still, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll admit, I'm not someone that's diving into the the wars of these guys and going through all the advanced metrics for them. But let me just read you a few of the names of the guys that didn't make the cut this year Todd Helton uh I think he's gonna get in next year but I think a lot of people have him have him skewed by the by the uh the 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 course field numbers yeah he just missed the cut he was the closest these are in order of how they missed the cut Billy Wagner I think he gets in next year too Uh, he's a hall of famer in my book this is one I can't believe is so low on the list. And maybe I just need to look at his numbers. Maybe they're not as good as I think, but he felt like a big time player during his heyday. Andrew Jones. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you because he was a superb defensive player. I mean, uh, I felt like he's one of the best defensive center fielders we've ever seen. Yeah. Um yeah, that's one for me too. And 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 I don't only got fifty eight percent of the vote. Yeah, that that though that's a that's a probably a good trend. If you're trending upward, and I think he did trend upward, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's probably a good sign down the road. Gary Sheffield. Well, Gary Sheffield, I love Gary Sheffield, but he gets tainted by um by the whole steroid thing. I think he was directly tied to Victor Conti, if I'm not mistaken. Uh Carlos Beltran. Same. Uh you know, he I think he gets dinged by trash can gate, but that's probably unfair. I but I again he's good. I I never thought of him as a Hall of Famer when I watched him, though. And, and I know that's anecdotal every time I say that, but there's there's got to be a feel for me for guys like that. I just think that's an interesting way to look at it. When you think back on their career, I mean, I don't really have the interest to go in and dive into all these numbers and see how close it really is. But like you say, I just always think back to when they were playing. I go, do I ever think that guy was the best 
in his era and was going to be an eventual Hall of Famer? And, and the answer for a lot of these guys ends up being no. But um, Jeff Kent is another interesting one he, where he's one I think that gets deemed because honestly, he was such an ass and it's unfortunate because he was an ass. He was and an this ass was his media. final year on the ballot. I know it. And if you look, he's I think he's the all time uh, record holder for home runs and RBI by a second baseman ever. Now, here's one, and, and I know everybody hates the guy, and I don't like him too much either, but this makes absolutely no sense to me. Alex Rodriguez only got 35% of the Well, he's, he's tainted by, by steroids, too. Sure, but I mean, where I know that. Where I'm do you talking. draw the line on these guys? Like, some well, of these guys are have. already in our yeah, steroid. I, I'm noting I, you, and I think, that's, I think people have drawn the line. It's a major part of your history. I, I just, I mean, we don't need to I'm get into that you. whole argument, yeah, but no, I think yeah. that's stupid. Right. And then right. Manny Ramirez is another name who's obviously tainted by steroids. Right. He only got 33% of the vote. And Manny Ramirez clearly felt like a Hall of Famer. Clearly. Obvious. Him and A-Rod are both obvious yes, Hall correct. of Famers. I mean, correct. I just, I don't get that. By the way, I found the tweet comparing Dave Parker, Scott Roll. And you ready? Chris yep. Dokish is the person who tweeted this out. I don't know Chris, but. Uh, Thanks, Chris. Uh, here's Dave show. Parker's career numbers. 290 average. 2,712 hits, 339 homers, seven-time All-Star, two World Series, one MVP, three Gold Glove, three Silver Slugger, two-time batting champ. Scott Rowland, 281, 2,077 hits, 316 homers, seven-time All-Star, one World Series, zero MVP, eight Gold Gloves, one Silver Slugger, zero batting champ. I mean, Dave Parker's not in and Scott Rowland is. Yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, Skinny's favorite current announcers and why Tony Romo is the worst. Oh, my God. He, he really has mailed it in. And, and I had somebody say this. We were, we were actually talking about that the other day. I, and I wonder if this is the case. Remember how Romo got all the praise for, yep. for calling out plays and, and, and everybody loved that? It feels like somebody told him to stop doing that. And when they did, he said, to hell with it. Then I'll just stop doing my work. Oh, I, I was thinking maybe he feels so unenthusiastic anymore. Like, yeah, I'm here. You made me cut you, you. You neutered me. And you know what? Screw it. I, I gotta be honest. I will say I actually kind of like him being on the games though, because most of the, the color guys are so bad and he, well, most least, of them over talk. And, and well, and he does the same thing, but he says the most ridiculous things because it's just like a word salad coming out of his mouth. He doesn't talk all that well. I think most of the national guys are. I, I, Joe Buck is obviously really good, in my opinion. Um, I, one of the underrated guys for me, and I, I just think he does he does such an understated job with a great voice, great delivery, is Brad Nestler. I'm a big Brad Nestler guy. Yeah, because he doesn't annoy you. Yep. And in terms of color, who do you like? There's not a lot of good ones yeah. out there. I think Kirk Herbstreet is the best at college or NFL. I think he is, too. I, I, I'll give you that. I, I, I kind of agree with that. You know what's incredible about Kirk is he does so many games now with college and NFL. He's just constantly talking on air, and he somehow avoids using the same cliches over and over that you hear these other guys use constantly. Good point. He's a lot of times just explaining the play in simple words exactly what happened. And I'll be honest, I think Gary Danielson's really good too. I would agree with that. Yeah. I know pe- people are all mad the other night during the Xavier game because the- Tim Brando was doing it. I, I like love Tim him. Brando. I like Tim Brando. I love him. Yeah, I, I think Tim Brando's really good. I agree. And done it for a long time. I think some of it too is when guys have done it for so long, you just get annoyed by him. For what- I mean, now people are annoyed by Al Michaels, right? I mean, at what point did you ever think you were going to get annoyed by Al Michaels? Well, it's anyone that does anything in terms of content. You don't even have to be popular or doing it for that long. There's just going to be a significant amount of people that hate you. Yeah, but it feels like Al Michaels this year drew more criticism than ever. And maybe maybe it was deserved. Maybe I didn't pay enough attention to it because I hardly ever watched the Amazon Thursday night games. Um, but, I, I mean, that, that dude for so long was like, he is iconic. Yeah, I think that's, that one's been growing online for a while. The yep the animosity for him, but that's just how it is with everything. Everyone hates everything online. You know, I mean, there's not anyone who has a hundred percent approval rating on the internet, on social media. That's a good point. (laughs) Uh, This is obviously a Xavier fan. I want to know after watching Gamble explode for 10 minutes last night, what are the toughest environments skinny has ever coached in? Um, well, I would I would say a couple of AAU tournaments, um, 
in Tennessee where, where there was one that was really tough environment because it was kind of a hometownish team. And we came in and kind of kicked their ass and they didn't like it too much. And I'll just leave it at that. It, 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 it could have gotten ugly and thank goodness it didn't. So one where the guy came out of the stands and told, told me to never tell his wife to shut up. And I'd never told her to shut up. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've heard that story cool. once. Um, all right. Can I hear skinny's version of the story that Daner told on his pod of Jay Morrison driving 85 miles an hour, passing a truck on the right and rolling dice all at the same time. So you've played this game with us on the road. <laughs> That's right. We roll. talked about that on the last roll podcast. Left, right, center. And probably most of the listeners have, have played it. But for those who haven't, you, you roll, you start with three units. They can be a dollar. They can be $2 units. They can be five. I've even played at times for $20 units. But we were playing a nice little friendly dollar game to start. It did escalate to $5 before we got to Buffalo. But... um we needed something to roll the dice in and God love Jay. He had a, a set of Bose earphones, right? And he said, this will work perfect. And it did. It looked like a literal small miniature version of where you would shoot craps. I mean, it couldn't have been any better for us to roll the dice in, in the car. Well, was it like a case for the earphones? Yes. Okay, yes. Perfect it. size. It even had a pouch to where you would, would slip a, a cord in for a, an adapter or whatever. And that's where we put the money for the center. So to make a long story, the game you roll, you start with three dice. Um, if it turns up left, uh, one of the dice is left. Let's just say, let's, I'll give you one to turn to the left. One goes R one goes with a C you would give one of your units to the guy to the right, one to the left, one goes to the pot in the middle. Um, there is a dot on there too. If the dot comes up, you're exempt from giving any money out. So make a long story short, you have to roll. It's the last person with the, with the money left at the end has to roll a dot. If he rolls a C, then it goes cumulative pot. So anyway, so the J part of the story was, Chase turned to roll. We'd been playing for a little bit and we were in New York state and there was a truck and Jay, Jay wasn't speeding the host. Jay, Jay put it on a good solid 80 and did a great job. Did a yeoman's job. He drove up and back to Buffalo. Um, I was exhausted um, from just the whole thing, the whole trip and the work and all that stuff. And all I had to do was sit in the back seat and, and giggle with those guys and look at my phone and listen to music with those. I mean, so Jay did the yeoman's work, but we are literally in New York state. He, it was his turn to roll. When he did, Paul would take the little makeshift um, uh, dice, the thing we rolled the dice into, and kind of hold it to, next to Jay. And Jay would kind of do a no look roll of the dice. So, my God, we're coming up on this truck. And I said, You're going to pass him? He goes, Yeah, I got to get around this guy. And he's got the dice in his hand. I thought he was going to wait, wait to get around the truck. I said, How about we do safety first? And he just rolled the dice casually as we go around the truck at 85 miles an hour. It was great. It was one of the great moves of all time. So did anybody lose no, 15, 20 straight games um, on this trip? I will say poor Jay did take it on the chin. Really? Yeah. Am I, I off the hook? I, I was a significant winner. Daner, Daner got some money back in the $5 game. Not a ton of money changed hands, I will say, but it was, it was enough. It was enough for a, for a few, uh few Saturday night beverages in Buffalo. Never go wrong with that. All right, and then Skinny, did you see the Loyola Chicago Duquesne game? The viral moment that happened there with I the did. I saw. I saw it this morning. Uber Eats driver. If you didn't see it, just randomly started walking out onto the court trying to deliver McDonald's. Uh, what was your take when you saw the video, Skinny? Well, my take was I thought it was a hoax, and I think it is. I think is that's it, right. Hasn't it been? Hasn't it been somebody said it was a TikTok challenge or something along those lines yeah that's right he's a tiktoker youtube or something like that but there i mean was, but uh, the fact that he pulled it off well i mean look the thing is people were cause, asking because the officials weren't in on the gag the, the players weren't in on the gag right right exactly which is honestly a problem this isn't it a is good a idea and, and the problem is you'll get copycat stuff because of this but the thing about it is people are like how did this guy get in there how did he walk down to the court with no one stopping him you can clearly tell not many of these people have ever been to a mid-major basketball. Right. Game. There's not a lot of security going on. Not a lot of security. Not a lot of people. No one really cares what's going on at most of these places. Like, if you went to Indiana Farmers Coliseum, which is where the Horizon League tournament is played, you could walk right out into center court during an IUPUI basketball game, and you would make it to center court before anyone stopped you. Like, there's... There is not a soul doing anything at these games. It's a sleepy place. So this was not a surprise. I'll also add that the whole Uber Eats thing, and I don't know what the deal is at Duquesne, but if you go to an NKU game right now, they have a partnership with DoorDash 
And down at their low, <laughs> lower level concession stand, they actually have a DoorDash drop-off spot where you oh can order God. from your seat, DoorDash, wow. go pick it up at the concession stand, and then go eat in your seat, which... I mean, if that's, you want to, that sounds that sounds counterproductive for the uh, for the concessionaire, does it not? Right. I assume that you know there's some type of money changing hands there, and there's a deal that makes sense for both parties. But like, look, I think it's not a bad idea instead of paying overpriced for overpriced concession stand food that's usually pretty bad at college sporting events. You can order out, but I would be way too weirded out by doing the whole thing and having people sit next to me and look at me eating Subway or whatever the hell you get. From DoorDash. I will say my favorite part of the, the, the video, and I think I've watched it like six or seven times, and I think I've got it right, is the official doesn't blow the whistle to stop the action. He like puts his hand up as if to tell the guy, hang on a second, we're going down the other end of the floor. It's crazy. The The official is like, hold on, I'll be back in a second yeah, for my no, right, double quarter pounder with right. cheese and large that, fries. That's my favorite part to it. Yeah. he was. I mean, you would think the official would blow his whistle and, and stop play, right? They did eventually, but you're right. The first guy was just like, oh, hey, 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 we're trying to play a game. Hold on to that. Oh, exactly. For me. Exactly. I, that, that was my favorite part of it. It was a uh, a strange video for sure. Immediately, the uh, the skepticism went up for me, and I was like, well, this is obviously a stunt. And then when you could see the close-up of the kid, and he had a microphone right. attached to him, and he was filming the thing, I was like, all right, obviously, he's making a, a TikTok video or, or YouTube video or something of that nature. All right, Skinny, that's all I got. All right, all good stuff. Thanks, as always. Keep the questions coming. We will be back uh, next week. We'll know if the Bengals are Super Bowl bound or not, and then we'll have two weeks of Super Bowl hype to talk about, and we'll start that next Thursday when we come back with the podcast. Actually, we'll be back Sunday night, don't forget, with our Bengals postgame podcast after the Bengals play the Chiefs. I'll be in Kansas City. Rick will be back here, and we will discuss via the Zoomverse. So thanks for being with us. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.